0: I believe we're still in the very early stages of the internet. I believe that we're in the very early stages of an asset class, domain names. I believe that domain names are actually going to, in essence,
1: well, to dive right in. Um, We'd love to know, like, how'd you get started in the domain business, and what is the story behind some of these domains that you've brought, the more profile, high-profile high ones like you know, x.com, prime.com and zoom.com
0: you know i'll I'll try to give you the abbreviated version but basically you know i was in university at the sort of the emergence of the consumer internet and um i I remember pretty clearly sitting in a class where we were learning very basic HTML. and the concept was basically you know you put this website online and we're building these really basic text and color one page websites and it was like okay put this online and then anybody anywhere in the world can then see this content that you've you've put out and um uh you know at that time this is all pre-google and so it was there was no real clear way of you know disseminating this information or how do you find the, the these websites that have been put out to uh the ether and so um you know it was just very natural to me uh that if i was going to you know, first off, it clicked for me that like, wow, this is going to be a really powerful like, the ability for anybody to put out information. At that point, it was basically an information only, you know, write only type of web. Um, uh, that would then be available for anybody anywhere uh, to find. I, that that was a very powerful idea to me, and um, it was also clear to me that in order to participate, step one was to have a domain name, and then. Because this was pre google because there was no discernible way to access or find content that wasn't told to you or advertised to you in some way, um, it was also clear that you wanted to have a memorable domain name. And so, um, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, for me, what I understood early on was like two-letter and three-letter .coms, like keep it as short as possible, and um, um. You know and it, it was later on uh that i i you know came to really truly appreciate the, the value of like one word dot coms etc an exact match sort of two word uh uh big commercial keywords like you know let's say car insurance right Um uh, and uh anyway so i started buying them but with no i i promise you it never crossed my mind for one second that these were like valuable assets it was just a ways to a means. It was like, I want to participate in this thing. I'm super hyperactive. And so every time I have an idea, I would say, oh, let me get a debate for that. And um, and then it was much later, it was in the early, uh, probably, 2001-ish, too, um, that one of those domain names um, that I had bought uh, uh, because of another project that I wanted to launch, um, which was uh, IbericoHam.com com and and a bunch of other, Pata Negra, Amor a bunch of other uh, domain names around that, um, that, uh, you know, I, again, brief version, but I, I I was in the seafood business, actually, at the time, seafood commodity trading, and um, I was in Mallorca, Spain, and I tried this ham, and I was like, this is the best meat I've ever had. I want to import this into the U.S., and then I found out it was illegal, and uh, so I basically put that, that idea aside, but I had registered the domain names. And then I, it was probably 2001, 2, something like that, 3, that I was uh, driving to my office, and I heard that George Bush was going to get the first you know, Iberical ham ever imported into the United States. And I thought, you know, somebody did it before me. And uh, I found the importer, and uh, uh, I, I actually called him just because I wanted to buy a ham. And he was like laughing at me, you know. Look, I'm sold out for a year, 11 containers. You know, these things are about, you know, eight to $10,000, $12,000 per ham. Um, I think it was the most expensive meat in the world at the time. And, anyways, just in talking shop, it uh, came up that I had these domains and it was very evident that he wanted them. And I had no idea what to even say that these things were worth or my price. And so I said, look, I, what I really want is one of these hams. And, you know, the guy has literally just spent five minutes laughing at me and telling me how there's a one-year wait list and there's no chance. And he says, done. You know, ham is yours. And I was like, well, I want it from George Bush's container. I want it from that first container. Done. And I was like, wow, well, that was too easy. Uh, you know, uh, so I just threw out, like, the, the first number that came to mind. I was like, I want $5,000. He was like, done. So the guy did it. You know, at that time, I didn't even know how to do a domain transaction. I just took him at his word. I transferred him the domains and, you know, I I got lucky that he actually followed through and he sent me the check. Guy couldn't have been nicer. He sent me also, uh, which was not part of the deal. He sent me a case of really good, real and He sent me, you know, carving set with special knife and the whole thing. And, uh, he was clearly very happy about the deal that we made. And, um, you know I, I obviously realized that i probably undersold the domains and uh but i was also quite happy with the deal that we made um but over the course of the next month while eating my you know eight or ten pounds of iberico ham and drinking my real um it occurred to me that everybody in every single business is going to want or need their domain name that that, that, that sort of corresponds to the business and so um i uh i then sort of backed up the truck and doubled down and i i started buying up everything i could now at that point i wasn't registering these domains i started buying them from people uh who who just didn't understand what they might be worth and uh and i literally just took like a dictionary and was just contacting the owners of every keyword known and then uh uh you know quickly ran out of money and um uh realized this was a very cash intensive uh exercise um and you know there was no real liquidity for these things and so i was way sort of let's say ahead of the curve there was no market for them so to speak and and if there was it wasn't very you know it was a very shallow market and so um you know once you bought these things it was yours and you you were going to sit on it until uh you know you found that perfect end user and so um Yeah, it was cash intensive, and I didn't have any cash flow coming from the business. And I was, you know, still running a full-time business. And um, I then uh, basically realized that I need to create cash flow. And the way I was going to do that was playing matchmaker between the people that had these assets and the people that I thought would want them, even if they didn't know it yet. And so uh, that's what I did. And, And I started sort of just as a side gig brokering domains and uh you know obviously at first it was sort of low to medium level domains and then uh you know long story short there's a variety of reasons but i I, you know i actually uh went full-time into the brokerage business and um uh you know after a series of of wins uh you know the domains that we were representing or the clients that we were representing to acquire the domains they wanted, uh, started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, uh, you know, to this day, we've really never marketed or advertised. All of our business has come in sort of word of mouth from successful deals that we've done for people. And, um, yeah, through that, we've sort of just become the the go-to, um, uh, for, you know, particularly, you know, hard to close transactions, high value domain names, you know, whether people are buying or selling, um, and that, you know, led to some of the deals that, you
1: know, you mentioned. Yeah. So double click into that on some of these successful acquisitions you've had, um, you know, in terms of, you know, x.com, like what's the story behind a high profile domain name like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so X.com in particular, I can't go too much into detail. You know, a a lot of these transactions, you know, uh, are are confidential. Um, uh, You know, and even where we don't sign NDAs, uh, you know, we try to, you know, maintain as much privacy for our clients as we can. And that's also part of the value, you know, to our services. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of that has sort of come some of it let's say has come out in the public and you know obviously elon musk was the buyer um you know uh we represented um uh elon in that in that transaction and um you know it was uh uh you know basically it was owned by paypal it was originally elon's name that it was owned by paypal when, when you know they sold their interest to paypal and um uh, you know, multiple iterations of management and, and, and corporate structure of PayPal later, um, they had an unsolicited, they PayPal wasn't using the domain. They had an unsolicited offer from uh, a party that I think they maybe didn't feel comfortable selling it to. And, um, but it was, you know, an attractive offer. It just wasn't maybe the optics of the deal. And I, maybe I'm, you know, adding my own color to the deal, uh, uh. Uh, I think the optics were probably not uh, there in, in the way that they, the board or, or the management maybe felt uh, was ideal. And uh, they were looking for an alternative buyer. And, uh, uh, you know, to some degree, I was sort of right place, right time. And uh, um, I, I knew that this was going to be a domain that Elon would be interested in. And so went back to them. I had been working with his team to acquire You know other domain names for for the various
1: companies and uh yeah it uh it was definitely uh obviously a fit i'm curious like from the founders that you've helped acquire these domains is there any stories you have of someone acquiring a domain that was really key in their niche and then experiencing sort of explosive growth after getting that domain
0: yeah i mean i it's actually a quite recurring theme i mean um uh domain names they were a funny thing so it's it's very difficult to put hard measurements on oh well, well how do we value this name right and 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 um you know we double click on that I, I've sort of come up with a thesis and, and 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 a methodology for how I come up with a data driven objective valuation for domains. um but you know tangentially what I've experienced uh you know sort of the anecdotal value is 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 what you're you know alluding to, which is like we see these companies, they're, they've got some moderate level of success to the point where they've raised sufficient capital or they've got sufficient cash flow that they are like, okay, we are, you know, uh, I don't know. They, they've either got an alternative domain extension that's not the .com or they've got a prefix or a suffix on their sort of brand. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons why that over time it's like sandpaper and it just creates friction and um, and it irritates you know founders, it irritates employees, it irritates you know just sort of the 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 fluidity of the brand in the in the marketplace, and um, you know from simple things like you know giving somebody your email address, and you know they know you as you know I don't know we we did uh, we got galaxy dot com for example for galaxy digital, which is Mike Novogratz's uh, very big. Um, sort of brokerage house, uh, 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 broker-dealer and and marketplace, so to speak, for cryptocurrency. Very big, multi-billion dollar financial institution. They're dealing with, you know, high net worth individuals, institutional clients. This is financial information. This is personal information. Very sensitive information being passed back and forth. You know, you go to provide somebody your email address and, you know, in their case, they were using galaxy digital.io. And it was like breaking the, you know, three of the, 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 let's say five golden rules of branding and domain names. And it was like, what? Well, you could not make up a worse domain name, right? And so it was like, you know, i let's just say I'm Mike, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm giving my, my email address to somebody. It's like, well, what's your email address, sir? And it's like, well, my email address, is Mike at, Galaxy-digital.io, that is a mouthful. There's a high probability of making a mistake. There's also the high probability that you don't actually exchange emails and people make assumptions. And when you are that type of a, uh, institution, I can tell you, regardless of what you might believe, they are going to assume that you have galaxy di- galaxy.com because you should, right? And so um, uh, there is loss of, of data. There is loss of security. There's all, all these different reasons. So, anyways, back to the sort of question. Yes, I would say uh, uh, there is a large number of companies that acquired their domain name, and you can very uh, anecdotally watch their growth accelerate after having that. And there's just there's just an incredible number of reasons for that, even if they're sort of intangible and difficult to to um, you know put a a a a a, a number on. Um, but, you know, Carrot.com is is one example where there actually was a case study done. I don't have the numbers offhand, but, you know, it was like great growth, successful company. They acquired Carrot.com, and I think they saw like a, a, an immediate, like 300% increase in their conversion rates, 1,000% increase in their growth, uh, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal. Don't hold me to those numbers, but it was – a. I, I think we even have a domain Sherpa episode where we we, we discuss their um, their sort of post acquisition growth. But uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a recurring theme. I mean, I, what I can say also, you know, I don't think in the twenty something years that I've been doing this, um, I have yet to ever have a client come back to us and be like, you know, we didn't really see any benefit from acquiring that or. You know, we'd like to return this domain or, you know, we don't really, we bought this, but you know, I. if you've got somebody else that would be a better use for it, you know, go ahead and sell it. You know, what we actually find, and, and this does happen, I'm not going to say it happens a lot, but it happens more often than you may think, um, where we, this actually happens more often when we are selling a domain proactively as opposed to on the acquisition side. We go out to the market. We identify 10, 20, really, you know, we might come up with 100 leads, but we know there's five or 10 really qualified buyers for this domain name. Sometimes it's two. And you go out and everybody, you know, domain names are this funny thing where everybody would love to have their exact brand match.com. They can't tell you necessarily why or what it's worth to them, but they know that everybody knows. There's nobody... That doesn't have their exact brand match.com. There's, I, I would be willing to bet there are zero people who don't own their dot, you know, their exact brand that wouldn't like to have it. They, they don't, deep inside of themselves, whatever story they've told themselves of how to accept the alternative extension or the prefix of the suffix, deep inside, they know it would be an upgrade to have the exact brand match.com, right? Still, getting them over that hump of I'm going to spend the money to get it is a different story. And that is an uphill battle. It always has been. I would say we are seeing it get easier and easier as the years go by. But it is still an uphill battle. But let's say we go out to market. We hit those 5, 10 people. We basically get told to pound sand by all of them. And then, you know, we persevere by just being, you know, persistent. And um, eventually somebody says you know okay let's let's discuss right and then once we get there you know you know there's an emotional commitment to it and 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 then it's about price and you know, this negotiation that ensues and we ultimately usually arrive at, at a deal and uh, what is so interesting is what happens after the deal so we arrive at a deal doesn't even matter what that price was but let's just let's say it's $500,000 so the price was $500,000 and somebody gets you know their domain name let's call it xyz.com and uh, the interesting part is one of the other five people comes back and they say, you know, we actually given this some thought and, you know, I had my inception moment and uh, I'm ready to, to move on this. What, what's the deal? You know, sorry, sir. We just sold it a main name. Oh, well, what'd you sell it for? Well, you know, we sold it for 500,000 and they say, well, you know, let those people know we'll give them five fifty. You know, we're really generous. Ten percent more than they paid. We'll give them five fifty to just flip it. They probably have buyer's remorse after paying that price, anyways. Okay, all right. I don't think that's going to work, but let me let me try. So you go back to the guy, you know, let call it Buyer A, and you say, you know, look, I know you were kind of on the fence about making this deal. One of the other buyers who had originally said no have come back, and they would like to actually make this deal. And they're now offering you five fifty, so it's a fifty grand profit just for saying yes. And in some cases, they haven't even paid yet. Uh, uh, we had a case with, um, well, I think it was uh, uh, Beard dot com, where that was exactly an actually, I think it was, I think it was something like five hundred thousand. The guy came back and said, "I'll give five fifty," and then the buyer said, "No, I don't want to do it." Anyways, um, when what, what ends up happening, and this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about: is how to value this, but is there's this post-sale value to a company. And, you know, I can tell you that that guy that just paid $500,000, he laughs at me when I say, we've got somebody that will pay you five fifty. dollars It's not even for one brief moment worthy of consideration. And you say, all right, well, six hundred? dollars Nope, seven You're out of your mind. Won't even consider it. $1 million. And they might give some pause and they think, well, double one money. Yeah, but, you know, this is my brand. This is my identity, you know. You're asking me to give that up for a half a million bucks. You know, and you got to understand that if it's a, if they paid a half a million dollars up front, that's a company that is, let's say, an established business that's probably worth $50 million or more in market cap. Or it's an up-and-coming startup with venture backing that probably has $50 million in raised capital, Okay. Generally, it's one percent of market cap or one to two percent of of money raised that is typically what companies and boards and and v c s are are comfortable uh paying um you know to acquire their exact brand match dot com or a highly strategic you know domain so um you know they ultimately say no, you know million dollars isn't gonna do it, you know maybe if you got to two and a half maybe if you got to five you know it would be silly for me to not say yes, but I probably still won't feel good about it. And that is a recurring theme. That is almost ubiquitous. So every time, almost every time, the person is on the fence, whether they want to pull the trigger and do the deal, the moment they say yes, the value in their mind goes up by five to 10 x. And in some cases, it's just, there is no price. Once they've gotten that shiny object on the hill, There is absolutely no price at which they'll give it up. And so it's an interesting theme to me to sort of analyze that and think about, you know, this is, I I believe, we're still in the very early stages of the Internet. I believe that we're in the very early stages of an asset class, domain names. I believe that domain names are actually going to, in essence, replace the commercial real estate space. And I think that we're, we're, we're seeing an acceleration there. Um, you know, I think a lot of the same principles are ultimately going to apply. And I think that, um, you know, we just don't have a well understood methodology for valuing these things. Um, but I think that we will. And I think that, um, you know, the people that are saying no to acquiring their domain name today for, um, what may seem like a lot of money. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars, it's ultimately going to look pretty cheap in the future, right? And I think that we'll have new financing, financial models, you know, that allow people to not have to pay all that money up front. And there'll be there'll be you know more creative ways of going about this. There'll
1: be financing uh, uh, available, and et cetera, et cetera. What you're bringing up is like, yeah, once you kind of bought this domain, it really does become part of your identity as a as a founder. You're probably telling your friends, "I signed this and it also becomes a, you know, a real pillar of the company's brand and identity and beyond, you know, your, in your mission, your culture, your hires, it, it becomes a core part of the, almost the DNA of how you're perceived by others and and how you also probably identify and see your own brand. And so, yeah, to suddenly then take that on, it's like, it's a prized possession. Um, I was talking to, uh, my good friend, Dan, who I won't, uh, I'll leave anonymous though a bit. Um, and, uh, I think this is a common thing that entrepreneurs bring up. You know, uh Paul Graham, I think, has this rule with startups in Y Combinator where it's like, you know, our strong recommendation to you is that you go and get the dot com. We have never yes. seen a successful company without the dot com. So yeah, you know, when you're putting a your name, get the dot com. And my good friend Dan was looking to rebrand his company and had all of these names he had put into a Notion document. Um, and I I had asked him, like, okay, so which of those do you have the dot com for like that's available, do you think? And he's like, Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, and I brought up like based on what I know, that's definitely something that, like, you know, you've got these names that you think are interesting. Which of those dot coms are in the realm of availability for you? And yep. then we shortlist that list based on, you know, names that you like that are relevant to what you're doing, dot coms that are available, and then pick what's right. What's your kind of perspective on that? when founders are actually coming up with a name for a brand.
0: My my thinking on this has evolved. Um you know, I uh, I love that article from Paul Graham. I, I know exactly uh 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 I, I I even I generally would know the title of the article even, but I um I I think that we are in this rapid iteration world in technology. And what I mean by that and what it then implies for branding and domain names is that there are a lot of great ideas. Some of those ideas are probably better off as a feature on something else. Some of them are full-fledged businesses. I think it's wonderful that we have this nursery of um of of startup creation and 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 technology creation and business creation. And not all of those things warrant going out and spending the money to get your exact brandmash.com. And I think that it's phenomenal that these alternatives exist. And I think that it's kind of like training wheels, right? Um, you get an alternative extension, or you add a prefix or a suffix, and you start building your business, and you get, you know product market fit, and you get an MVP, and you raise a little bit of money and you have proof of concept. And then, you know, you have at least like a vision of we've got something here, we've got a sustainable path, we, we have a clear path to either profitability or sustained growth or you know what have you, something that warrants taking a longer-term view of your company. At that moment, when you decide that your company has a long-term vision and a long-term future, it is at that moment that this becomes critical. And it's at that moment that you should if at all possible, even if it's not comfortable, find a way to secure a path to ownership for your exactbrandmatch.com. Now, I say a path to ownership as opposed to buy your exactbrandmatch.com because there are many ways to skin the cat. You can buy an option. You can get a lease with an option to buy. You can get financing. You can. There's a lot of different ways to, to go about this, okay, without having to lay out all the money up front. And I think it is essential that you do one of those options at that moment when you have a clear path to a uh, 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 a long-term future, okay? Uh, whether that's because you've just raised your A round, whether that's because your user growth is so great that you, know, you are very confident in, in, in the long-term viability of the business, what have you, whatever the metric is that, that, that determines the future of your business. The caveat to that is that Let's say that you are—I don't know—I'm gonna be looking out my window, and this call Fern. I have a big fern in front of me. So you call—you're going to call, you're, you're gonna call your, your your business Fern, okay? It is very important that even though I'm telling you, you don't need Fern.com on day one. It's perfectly okay to start out with a Fern.io, Fern.ai, Fern.co, Fern. Whatever, Fern.horse, okay. Whatever it is that might be applicable and and, and 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 you know minimum viable domain for your for for you to you know just build an, an MVP, it is critical to think about what you said, which is to just know that that .com could be attainable in the future, okay? And if that .com is not going to be attainable because it's owned by some huge company, because it is you know let's just say it's in use or it's owned by a large company that has a very low propensity to sell it, um, you should pivot immediately. Like, the sooner you pivot, the more secure it's going to be, the less it's going to cost you, and the less risk you create in, you know, your brand and your company and and and, and sort of, let's say, the fluidity of the your development. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that that's right. I think that um, if you I I, Somebody just did a survey uh, or or an analysis a couple weeks ago. I saw it on Twitter. And I think it was um, of the top 1,000 companies um, by market cap in the world, um, I think it was 997 of them own their exact brand match.com. And I think the only exceptions were ones where the company had shortened their name and then couldn't get the .com or, you know, there was like, there was like only three exceptions and there was a good reason for those exceptions um doesn't necessarily excuse them uh but it, it there was a, a an obvious reason why they couldn't get it and um uh you know i think that tells you everything you need to know it's like you know um I, there's an anecdote that that i point out to vcs all, often and it's I, I do a you know fair amount of angel investing myself and 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 through my domain business and through that angel investing and just sort of trial and error, I've come to see a pattern. And that is that at the A or potentially B round, that sort of depends on the growth level of the company, the type of company it is. But at that A or B round, if you have a founder who is willing to, um, at a minimum, consider, even if it's not financially viable because of the price, which is obviously outside the control of the founder, but if you have a founder who is at least willing to make an a earnest effort to acquire their exactbrainmatch.com, uh, or a founder who actually goes a distance and, and, and acquires it, uh, in, in my experience, that business has a 70 to 80% higher probability of existing five years later, okay? So the five-year survival rate on that business is seventy to eighty percent higher than the founder, than 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 the founder who is not willing to invest in the long-term viability of their business. And my theory on why that is, I, they, they, those are just raw data. That's that's the raw data that we've evaluated. There's no bias there. That's just the facts uh, as we've seen it. Okay, where there's where I'm offering my opinion is is sort of the way that I analyze that and and I think that what it is is indicative of the founder or the CEO um, I think that it tells you whether or not they are emotionally invested in the long term viability of this business or if this is a ways to a means for them if this business is I don't want to call it a cash grab because that's not necessarily fair being a founder is hard no matter what your your motivation is but they are maybe not looking towards building a business long-term, they're looking to build something to flip it or build something to, you know, just cash out in some way, right? They, they've got a short-term or a medium-term vision for that business, not a long-term vision. And and sometimes that's okay, right? But um, I, I mean, I think, you know, of the businesses that don't fail, I think it's like 8 out of 10 of them turn into an hire, right? So um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it is, I think, worthy of note, and I don't think that it's a metric that anybody else in the investment world is using to evaluate founders and, and startups.
1: And it has held true for me. And so, when a founder then is serious about going and actually buying a domain, um, you know, oftentimes I think, uh, you know, it, you're like you're saying, right? Like some founders, it's the second or third priority, but then it comes to light that hey, this is something you should be, really be looking at if you're looking to dominate uh-huh. your given category. And so, about looking to you know, get it going, you know, they reach out to a guy like you, how do you go and figure out, uh, the actual, you know, capital that's going to be required to go and actually acquire that domain?
0: Yeah. So, so generally speaking, you know, we're going to offer some guidance up front, right. About what we think that the value of the name is. And, you know, part of that is just to double check that they've got a sufficient budget for the domain name that they want to acquire. Um, and you know, just. This could be uh, you know an hour long discussion itself, so I'll keep it uh, you know brief. But basically, the way to think about the value of a domain name is 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 in essence, the same way to think about the value of, of a startup. What is the total addressable market that they can that they're attempting to address? So um, you know the Tam of the domain name can be thought about in terms of use in commerce and use in culture of the word, words, or acronym to the left of the dot. Okay, so let's just presume for the moment we're talking about dot com, and um, we take, you know, um, I don't know, car assurance, okay, just because I brought that up before. Uh, It's front of mind. Uh, You know, I I use a tool like Ahrefs, um, you know, which is an SEO tool, and you can use their Keyword Explorer, and, you know, you type in something like car insurance, right? And so we've got, uh, in the United States alone, 657,000 exact match searches per month for car insurance. That's massive. That's a lot of search, okay? Um, so 657,000 people every single month go to Google and type in car insurance. Uh, the average... so. In in in, if we're looking at use in commerce, I would say that the most important way to measure use in commerce is Google search. Okay, Google is—I don't know what the market dominance is, but it's eighty, ninety percent of search, right? So um, you're basically addressing the whole search market by using Google's numbers. Um, They're also sort of the most transparent, uh, although less so today than than they used to be. But um, you know, you've got. Car insurance, right, the exact match, 657000 Then you've got car insurance broad match, which is sort of with other words included in that search query, right? Car insurance quotes, car insurance uh, uh, in, you know, I don't know, Nevada. Uh, cheap car insurance, car insurance for a sports car, car insurance for a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, car insurance companies, right? There's all these different broad match searches. And that long tail has sort of a diminishing return, but it is still very important. Uh, and um, uh, we then take that and, and you know, we have a certain weight that we apply to the search. We multiply that by what is the average cost per click that advertisers are paying to Google for its keyword? In this case, $40, right? And then we extrapolate that out by a reasonable business multiple, right? So what would it cost, you know, over, what's the period of time that, it, and, you know, your average business is going to evaluate a capital investment, right? So if they're going to buy a building, if they're going to buy a piece of equipment, what is the, let's say, depreciation life of that expense? What, what is the, the lifespan that they are evaluating that in? You know, I like to be very conservative, uh, particularly because this is not a common, uh, well, it is common, but it's not thought about commonly, right? So I use three years generally as my multiple So we say uh, uh, 36 months, 657,000 exact match searches a month, you know, each of these things has a weight, right? $40 a click. And that's gonna get you roughly 80% of the way there to um, what is the value in commerce for this keyword, right? And then we look at culture, right? And so culture, you know, we look at trademarks, we look at social media handles, we look at social media hashtags, we looked at uh, search on YouTube. We looked at search on Facebook. We looked at, you know, a whole bunch of a host of other factors, um, and you know, we put use in culture uh, at a much lower weight than we put use in commerce. Um, and then you know, we look at other factors like the age of a domain, the length of a domain. Are there viable um, competing alternatives? Right, because in any negotiation or, or, or assessment of, of value. The, What's the next best alternative? And um, uh, and then, you know, we come up with, with a, a very data-driven approach that is what I say is an objective value. And that is an objective value that I don't think is, you know, I don't think anybody can argue with it, right? Which is, I, I believe, part of the reason for my success is that I was the only person evaluating domain names in that way. And that allowed me not only to acquire domain names that I clearly understood were undervalued, but it also um, allowed me to provide really good guidance that people in business could understand and use as an outline to measure whether or not this was going to have a payback period for them. And, um, yeah.
1: And so for those founders that are then, you know, looking to acquire a domain, need some help with it, what's the best way to, for them to connect with you guys to, you know, go about kind of getting a value on that domain and, and get getting it?
0: Yeah, I mean, mediaoptions.com uh, is, is our our primary website. Um, we've got a whole host of other businesses, um, but uh, mediaoptions.com, uh, you know, uh, uh, contact us on the contact form. Um, you know, I'm also active on Twitter at Andrew Rosner,
1: R-O-S-E-N-E-R. And uh, yeah, those are probably the easiest ways to get all of us. Beauty. Well, I uh, no, appreciate you uh, coming on the show here, Drew. It's been a lot of fun chopping it up and excited to uh, continue to Collaborate offline, and uh, anyone that's looking to get the domain, get the .com, highly recommend Drew. He is uh, the godfather of this; has helped me enormously over the years, and um, you won't regret it. So, thanks so much for being on the show, Drew. People tend to go after these really, really small niches, which causes them to struggle to generate, create a business that generates a million, two million, five million, ten million.
0: The biggest—that's the biggest mistake that I see people making. So, if you can.